0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Last week I uh, started a new series, and it's really entitled Let's Talk About Church. And that's really what I want to do. Uh, We started off really just sort of laying a foundation, speaking about the fact that whether we realize it or not, all of us are in a state of transition. Those of us who are smart are deliberate about it, the rest of us just go with the flow. We are transitioning. We are transitioning in time. There's things that are happening in our country. I mean, for example, tomorrow. Tomorrow is a day of transition. We're having votes and we're doing all kinds of things in our country. There's, There's things that are shifting. Within the church, there's transitions. There's things that are going on. Within our hearts and our lives, there's transitions. And if we're deliberate about that, if we are attentive to that, we get to set the narrative. We get to be deliberate about that. We have an end goal in mind. And we can cooperate with the leading of the Spirit in that. We looked at what the Lord's been saying to us over the past little while, and it's quite clear that there's a transition that God is making in our hearts and in our thinking concerning our general everyday life as believers what it means to be the church and how that translates into how I live my life every single day. We understood, remember we looked at what the church was. It's not just a gathering of people. I mean, we still use the terminology, I'm going to church and I'll see you at church uh, as if it's a venue and if it's a place and that's all fine. But we need to understand deep down in our hearts that church is not just some religious organization I belong to. It's not just a place that I go. It's not a denomination. We're going to look we looked at what Jesus said the church is and we read from Matthew 16 verse 13 to 18 I'm not going to read it again for the sake of time but in that narrative Jesus says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and the word he used for church who can remember what it is Ecclesia well done And the ecclesia is the called out ones, it's those who are called out from the world, from daily life, called out and summoned for assembly for governmental reasons. And Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to set up my kingdom government within the earth. And that had all kinds of connotations attached to it. But one thing that was very interesting, remember, is that they were under Roman occupation, and the Romans had a way of doing things, and a way of thinking. They had something called the Conventus, where any two Romans came together anywhere within the Roman world. It was as though the presence of Caesar, the authority of Caesar, the law of Caesar, the worship and the adoration of Caesar was there. It was like every place they went to was a mini Rome. And Jesus invokes that same kind of thinking and understanding in Matthew eighteen twenty, when he says, Wherever two or more of you are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The presence of God, the kingdom of God, the authority of God is there. What Christ had in mind when he was talking about his ecclesia was a relational, governmental body founded upon the truth of his lordship. Remember, that was the essence of it. Upon this truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and commissioned to bring the ethos and the power of the kingdom of God into the earth and to reclaim all that was lost to sin to reclaim all that was lost to sin. And you're going to see with what I share with you today, how that theme weaves itself throughout, throughout the Bible and also throughout the message that I want to bring with you, share with you this morning. I think just the one thing I want us to become more aware of that I believe God is highlighting on is that wherever you go and wherever I go, we carry the presence of God with us. Now, I sprayed on some cologne this morning when I... Before I came to church, just so that when I greet you, it's not funky. <laughs> I try and make it as pleasant as possible. And what that means is, wherever I go, hopefully not too much, just like faintly, there's a fragrance that follows. If I've done, if, 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 if you're all smelling me from where you're sitting, perhaps it's on a little strong. But there's a fragrance that you and I emit. And it changes the atmosphere. When you smell something nice. I mean, we're in spring now. Isn't it wonderful? I've got, I've got yesterday, today, and tomorrow bushes. Just as you come into my gate. And sometimes you come in, it hits you. It's so powerful. Just this time of the year. There's this beautiful fragrance as spring hits us. And it's, the idea is that we are aware, because I think sometimes we're oblivious, that wherever we go, we are emitting a fragrance. And the question is, is it the fragrance of heaven? Is it the likeness of Jesus? Is it the love of Jesus? Are we and are we deliberate about it? So today, I want to carry on talking about the church and what it means. But there is one thing that's very interesting about the way Jesus Ecclesia worked. Unlike natural governments, Jesus Ecclesia. Exercised itself or manifested itself not from the outside, imposing laws and 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 uh, influence on people externally, but it worked from within. Unlike worldly governments, it's not imposed on people. Worldly government imposes itself on us, amen. But the kingdom of God does not impose itself on us; it inspires itself within us. And this is one of the greatest battles Jesus had to fight, was the mentality of the mindset that He, as the Messiah, the prophesied one, was going to come and liberate the people of Israel through a military overthrow, through overthrowing the government and setting people free from the occupation of Rome. Well, Jesus did come to set His people free, but His vision was far bigger than Rome. His vision was far bigger than just a governmental system. He pulled the rug out and uprooted from the very, the very bottom the whole system on which that corrupt system is built. The system and the nature of sin. The system and the nature of death that reigns in, in the hearts of those who are yet to be born again. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 beautifully articulates this. And he, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is drawing from the book of Ezekiel, the prophetic words of Ezekiel when he says that for this This is the covenant that I will make with Israel in those days, speaking of the future, speaking post-Jesus. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so we see that this new covenant, this new system, is not laws imposed, but it's an actual change from within And that's how the kingdom of God needs to work and needs to be manifest. Remember, Jesus is instituting a new body that will be both the dwelling place and the conduit for God's presence into this world. His idea to bring His presence and His his nature and His life into the world now is worked out through your life and my life. That's the conduit. That's the avenue. People are not going to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ just by themselves. Now, that doesn't mean God is not sovereign. That doesn't mean that around the world people aren't having encounters with the person of Jesus and having dreams. Sure, God can work that way. But the Bible makes it very clear that God desires to work in and through you and I. Not just pastors, not just preachers or evangelists or people with titles or people that work full-time in the church, but in the everyday life, husbands, God longs to show your wife what He is like through you. And wives, God longs to show what, God, what He is like to your husband through you. Parents to children. Children to parents. Man, I learn a lot from my kids. Truth be told, I learn a lot about myself from my kids. I don't always enjoy the lessons. God wants to reach that person in your workplace, in your school, with His love. And He wants to do it through you and me. we see this narrative of God wanting to be with His people, God wanting to presence Himself in our midst from the very beginning of Scripture. Folks, you were created for intimacy with God. As was every single person out there in the world. God loves everyone. God's love extends towards everyone. There is nobody that is left out. And we start. if we start in the Garden of Eden and we look at Adam and Eve, they were there in the presence of God. The Bible says they were clothed with the glory of God. They enjoyed rich and intimate fellowship with God, obviously until sin entered the scene. And what is the first thing that sin did when it entered the scene? It caused Adam and Eve to shrink back from the presence of God. Genesis 3 verse 8 says that when God was walking, when they heard the Lord coming in the cool of the day to have fellowship with them, they hid themselves. They, they felt ashamed. They, they wanted to, they, they drew away from the presence of God. They drew away from the very thing they were created for. And this led mankind on, to embark on a new journey of discovery, a journey of self-determination. Self-determination. The idea that we can decide for ourselves what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. And we call it self-discovery. And that's that's the ethos, that's the modus that the world is in there. Not to be ever told what is right or wrong or have anything ever imposed on you. No, that everyone is free to discover their own way. Everyone is free to decide for themselves what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And we try various experiences to discover what is right for us. Our own truth. This is my truth, my brand, my variation. This is what I think truth is like. And the truth really is that that pursuit ultimately leads us further and further away from the truth that we were were created for worship, we were created for intimacy with God. And so we see that from the very beginning. What was the fruit of that? The people, the people, all creation, there came a point where God looked at creation and He saw that all of their thoughts, all of their heart motives and desires were evil 24-7. All that was on man's heart to do was selfish, was carnal, was motivated by self-gratification. And he, through Noah we know what happened. God wiped out the entire world and He re-established it. Then He made covenant with Abraham. And we see how this worked itself out. Ultimately, eventually, God had to reintroduce Himself to mankind because we had, come, we had fallen so far away. Think about that. So much of the Old Testament, in fact, the reason we have Bibles is so that God can reintroduce you and I, the whole world, to Himself, to who He is. That's how far we lost the plot. And the way he did that was by introducing a law to say this is the standard. This is what things are like. And with the law, he had to later institute the temple with sacrifices to deal with sin. And there was an ark and there was a place called the Holy of Holies where God could once again come and dwell in the earth among his people to be where he wanted to be. You know, we've just sung a song. I just want to be where you are. I want you to know that every time you sang that, God was echoing, my child, I just want to be where you are. That practice continued until the birth of Jesus Christ, where God Himself, incarnate, came down to be with you and with me. And through Him, deal with the problem of sin, which separates us from God once and for all, and inaugurate what we're talking about today, the church, those who will once again be filled with His presence. And we see the the fullness and the powerful manifestation of this on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit literally falls upon the people and His presence is manifest in them and upon them and among them. And this now is to understand that God is still in the business of reintroducing Himself to the world around us. He's still in the business of reintroducing Himself to you and to me. Why? Because He is glorious. We're learning more about Him every day. Every time I go to the Word, word, He's opening my eyes to see new facets of who He is. Every time I'm worshiping Him, my heart is opening to, to just receive a greater understanding of His love, of His acceptance, of His nature. And the truth is, we need to learn and keep learning about this incredible God of ours. Because we were born into the world that does not have a clue. God is still in the business of reintroducing himself to the world and the world to himself. And what is his avenue of doing this? The church. It is you and it is me. You can see by this narrative that church is far more, as I've said, than a Sunday morning meeting or an organization that we happen to belong to. It literally defines who we are, both individually and collectively. I am a carrier of the presence of God. That is who I now am. Who am I? God, you're a good, good Father, and I'm loved by you. That's not what I am. That's who I am. And we carry the hope of the entire world within us. Now, there are a few things that God does in us and with us as we become members of the body as we become members of this thing we call the church. And I want to touch on just the first of those this morning, and we'll pick up the rest uh, later on on at another time. But the first thing that God begins to do is sanctification. In other words, setting us apart for purpose. And sanctification is a painful, yet wonderful and beautiful process. There is the sanctification that takes place the moment you and I become born again. We receive a new nature. The nature of God comes to live within us. Our spirit man is renewed and rejuvenated. But how many of you know, I don't know if this has been your experience, but it's certainly been mine, the transformation of my thoughts and my behavior and my attitude, that doesn't just change automatically, does it? And in those things, we need to learn and go on that journey that Jesus says, if you want to follow me, here's what you're going to have to do. Number one, deny yourself. And take up your cross so that you can follow me. Follow in my ways and follow in my footsteps. Follow in my counsel. And be changed. Remember, not through external pressure, but through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your mind and in your life. John 17, verses 14 to 16. Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says, I've given them your message. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And that is why the unbelieving world hates them, for their allegiance is no longer to this world, because I am not of this world. I love that. Their allegiance has shifted. Folks, we're going to the elections tomorrow. I don't like discussing politics from the pulpit, because quite frankly, I couldn't give you good advice this way or the other. I just couldn't. It's a system that is completely different from the ways of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. And I'm not saying you shouldn't vote according to your values. Yes, go out, make your voice heard. That is your right. That is your privilege. But I am saying that the power of the kingdom of God is not dependent upon any political party being in power. Jesus turned the world upside down by washing feet and dying on a cross. His methods have not changed. He says in verse 15, I'm not asking that you remove them from the world, but I ask that you guard their hearts from evil or from the evil one, for they, are no, for they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. I love that. Philippians chapter 2, we read about how Jesus came from heaven and humbled himself to become a man. He knew where he came from. And he was saying, these people, they're now coming from the same place. They're not of this world anymore. They're born again. And this is the first thing that begins to take place when we become members of the church, of the body of Christ. It's the significance of baptism. What does baptism symbolize? It's the death of the old man, the burial, and the resurrection into new life, with new allegiances, a new way of thinking, and a new vision and a purpose. I used to live for myself. That I could have a nice life. That my family could have a nice life. That I could be comfortable and all of these things. Is there anything bad or evil or wrong with that in and of itself? No. there's Nothing wrong with desiring those things. But if that's the purpose for my existence, boy, is that shallow. That means I'm still living a life of self-determination. That I will do that which is good, convenient, and feasible for me and for the betterment of myself and my family. The kingdom of God, when I come into the kingdom... I have to put to death my desires for self-gratification so that I may gratify and please the one to whom my life is now surrendered. And like I said, that is both an initial decision as well as a perpetual work. And it's that perpetual work where we struggle most. Sanctification involves coming out of one way of thinking and behaving in order to enter into another. It is from something, and it's to something. Let me give you an example. This is my Bible. I could set my Bible apart. It's now there. It's no longer with me. It's just there. And I think sometimes we, we, we stop there. We think, okay, I've got to come out of the world. I've got to stop doing certain things. I've got to stop behaving certain way and stop thinking certain ways. But that's only half the process. You see, if I want this Bible to actually make a difference, I have to set it away from myself and give it to somebody else, that it can impact them. You don't want it? Okay, I'll find someone else. You got one? Okay, okay. Do you understand? I have to be separated. The the, the only way I can be separated truly from the world is by giving myself to something else investing, being deliberate. Remember we spoke about transitions? Being deliberate about how I'm investing my time and where I'm going. Jesus said in the same passage of Scripture that we just read, He carries on the next verse says, Lord, sanctify them, Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. So what is the avenue through which we are sanctified? The Word of truth. Amen? Let me read you another Scripture from uh, Ephesians chapter 5. It's talking about husbands and wives here, but it's really interesting where Paul goes with this. He says, where am I? Let's go back a little. Here we go. Ephesians 5. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Where am I? Here we are. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And now he's he's drawing a parallel, saying this is how husbands should should love their wives, but what I'm wanting you to focus on here is what he says about Jesus, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Now, who is the bride of Christ? It is the church, it is you and I. That he might sanctify, that's what we're talking about, setting apart from the world for purpose. Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The word the Word of God. It's not just enough for me to say I've got to stop thinking like the world thinks without adopting a new mindset, a new frame of reference, and giving myself wholeheartedly to that, to study it, to, to embody it, and to become it. You see, I think so much of what we see in church today is the world has a culture, and every one of us is born into that. And I think one of the wonderful things about what we see around us today is we have various cultures. And certain cultures are strong in areas and weak in areas. Um, d- different communities, different ways of living. And, and I mean, Siobhan and I often talk about this. In the community he grew up in, community was a big deal. Togetherness, families, the whole community. Whereas in the community I grew up in, individuality was a big deal differences, different ways of doing things, okay? And I think so much of of what we see in church today is within the pockets of communities, within the pockets of nations, within the pockets of denominations, is we see people that live alongside the culture of the world, calling themselves something different, but yet looking exactly the same. It's a co-culture. I wear the name of Christian, but I think like those around me who are not Christians, I behave like those around me. I have the same value system and I'm pursuing the same things. What Jesus came to institute was not a co-culture, but literally a counter-culture. That's why Paul says, we're a peculiar people. We're strange because we don't fit into the culture that is all around us. And in the book of Romans, Paul says, gives us instruction concerning this. In chapter 12, I'll read it to you from the Amplified Bible. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God... Let's just stop there for a moment. There's, I think, three places in, in the epistles where Paul uses... This is, this is Amplified Bible. In, the, in the, uh, the, the New King James, he says, I beseech you. And literally, the, the impression is, I am begging you, please, believers... Those who say you are followers of Jesus, I'm begging you. He's imploring them. He's saying you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to live this unless, he says, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer. In other words, don't think like them anymore. There there needs to be a real change of heart and mind, of pursuits, of values. Don't be conformed to this world with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. How? Focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. So that, and I love this part, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is and what the good and acceptable and perfect plan He has and purpose He has for you. I love that. God wants you to prove His promise is true. He wants you to prove everything He says in His Word about you as true. As you conform, as you change your thinking, as you begin to change your life, to, to, to be like Christ. You see, folks, Jesus never called us to look like Christ. The Bible doesn't say we should look like Christ. The Bible says we should be like Christ. And there's a big difference. Jesus spoke about, to the Pharisees and He says, You guys are like whitewashed sepulchres. You do all the right stuff on the outside, but inside it's full of dead bones. Clean the inside of the cup and the outside will be clean also, Perhaps so much of religiosity, perhaps so much of the things we even take on and adopt for ourselves, even things like coming to a Sunday service, even things like giving, are things that we're doing because we know someone's watching, <laughs> because we're part of a body. But what is really going on deep down inside? You see, if there's... Jesus said it this way, whatever you do in the secret place, will become evident out there. The connection you make with God and the conversations you have with God and the transformation that takes place in your heart and mind in the presence of God will become evident out there. But the same is true of the opposite. Our conformance to the culture we are in will also be clearly evident. And this is the shift that I believe God is calling us to make. It concerns not outward performance, but inward transformation. And it's the process by which we learn, and it's a process, it's a journey, to be more like Christ. It's the process by which we learn to submit to His Lordship, act by act, day by day, moment by moment, so that these little things, one at a time, may be transformed. Line upon line, precept upon precept, we are being changed and conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus. But what this really concerns is what it is that you and I are giving ourselves to every day. Paul writes to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, and he says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The Passion Translation says it this way. Every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so that he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. I love that translation. That is so apt. There was a time when you and I were married to this world and were married to its ways. What does it mean to be married to somebody? I'm married to my wife. It means I need to consider her. It means I, that she gets to sway my heart and sway my decisions. If I want to walk in unity with my wife, I can't just do what I want. I need to consider her in all things. People laugh at, people laugh at Helen and I. You know, Helen tracks me. She tracks my phone. She's really worried about where I spend my time, Clearly. Don't you mind being tracked by your wife? I say, no. Why would I mind being tracked by my wife? It's so that if she's ever worried about me, she knows exactly where I am. It gives her a notification, right, Michael's now leaving the church, so this is what it means for us now in terms of this is dinner time, this is what's going to happen, just for practical reasons. And I know that if my wife's out somewhere, I can track her. And I mean, it's not something we use often, but you know what's strange to me? It's when people find that out, they go, "Uh, uh-uh, no ways. No ways I'd do that. And I think to myself, why? What have you got to hide? What is your issue and what is your problem? How I got onto that, I don't quite know. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, the point is that when I am married to somebody, there's consideration involved and we have to do things together. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, you're no longer married to this world. You no longer need to consider the opinions of this world and the ways and the systems of this world because I'm bringing you into a completely new system. And I want to say this can be a real challenge, especially in this digital, very connected age that we're living in. We are well connected with the world. And the world comes in all the time. And we are a highly distracted bunch. If you think of a soldier, I don't know what the new laws are for, but you know, I can't think of a soldier on the front lines just saying, I just want to quickly just <coughs> update my Facebook status here going. <coughs> <coughs> you don't see that. It just it just would be wrong. It's wrong on so many levels. Because he's engaged at what he's got to do, with what he's got to do. Folks, you you and I, it's so easy to get caught up in the things and the affairs of this world. This is the essence of what Pastor Andreas ministered to us two weeks ago when he spoke about Mary and Martha. And he said in Luke 10 41, Martha, my beloved Martha, Jesus said, Why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by these many distractions? Mary has discovered the one thing that is most important. Everyone say, most important. I think it's really important that we understand that there are other priorities in our lives that carry importance and we should never feel guilty for needing to address them. But we also need to understand that Jesus is most important and our relationship with Him is most important. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. Now, The greatest aid in effective sanctification, this first thing that God begins to do with us and with our hearts and with our lives, both individually as well as corporately as a body, is the ability to prioritize rightly. How do I cooperate with God in this this journey of sanctification that I may carry more of His presence, that I may carry a greater awareness of His presence, that I may think like Him and behave more like Him and become really more like Him? The greatest asset we have is to prioritize rightly put first things first Matthew 6:33 but seek ye yes. seek ye yes. first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all the other stuff what's the other stuff it's the stuff we spend our lives Worried about, engaged in, what are we going to eat, what are we going to wear, where are we going to go, what's happening at work, what's happening, you know, life is busy and it's all this stuff. And Jesus doesn't say that those are bad things, but He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, God promises, I want to say to you today, God promises that He will take care of all the other things. And this is one of those areas where God is saying to you, I want you to test and prove for yourself this principle. If you will put me first and trust me with your whole heart, see what I will do. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians as I round out. Chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's own handiwork, His workmanship. This is a beautiful verse and it's a, it's a beautiful principle because it emphasizes the intimacy with which Jesus created you and I. The Greek word there is poem. You are God's poem. Thought, effort, consideration goes into writing a poem. It's not an off-the-cuff thing. You are God's poem, created in Christ Jesus, in other words, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, for us. Taking paths which are which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? We have such a privilege as the church of Jesus to have free access to the presence of the highest throne in all the universe and to be able to carry that presence in us and with us wherever we go. And the wonderful thing is that God doesn't call us to to do this alone. Being Being a part of the church means that God makes us a part of a family. He makes us a part of a body and that's what I'll speak on next time. I believe the Lord is saying He is wanting and deeply desiring for us to become so much more aware of His presence. I'm reminded of the story of Andrew Murray, who was walking down Main Street in Wellington at the turn of last century. And on his way, as he was walking, he suddenly stopped. And someone saw this old man just stopping by the side of the road and was concerned and went up to him and said, Excuse me, sir, are you okay? And he says... Madam, thank you, I'm fine. I just lost the sense of the presence of God and did not want to take another step until I'd gotten it back. Andrew Murray is no different to you and me except for the fact probably that he had a prayer life that you and I could really aspire to. But he had an awareness of the presence of God It changed the way he lived his life. It changed the way he walked down a street. Christ wants us to be aware of his presence every moment of every day so that he can lead us in his ways, so that we can see what he sees. We can see who he sees. We can think his thoughts, that we can demonstrate his heart. You see, the series about the church is really all about awakening our hearts to this reality afresh and entering into a deeper experience of it. This is what it means to be the church. That we are separated from, come out from the world by the grace and the blood of Jesus. That we are on a journey of transformation and sanctification more and more into His likeness so that we can truly carry His presence and be so aware of His unction and His guiding that one day we can say like Jesus said I do nothing of myself I only do what I see my Father doing and I only speak the words I hear my Father saying." We hope that you've enjoyed this message For additional resources and more information come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za